This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Lightning Round Podcast. As you can see, the show's a little different today. It's me and Craig. Garrett's with the kids today, enjoying some daddy daycare time. So Craig and I are going to run you through all of the defensive training camp battles. Um... So we're going to go ahead and get right into it. Uh, we don't have the fancy graphics that we had for you guys last time, but uh, we will read off the names and we will go through everything position by position. So Craig, let's go ahead and start with the defensive line. Uh, I'll go ahead and throw the first group to you. You tell me what you think, and then we'll kind of kick, kick it back and forth until we're ready to move on to the next group. So first group, interior defensive line. And that yep. group is made up of... Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, Morgan Fox, Christopher Hinton, Gerard Clark, the popular UDFA, Terrence Long, Scott Matlock, the recent draft pick, David Moa, Otito Agbania, CJ Okoye, and recent free agent signing Nick Williams. So how are you looking at this group, Craig? What do you think? So, of course, this is probably one of the less heralded groups on the team, but kind of sort of for good reason. Uh, with that being said, tons going on here. Some new blood has entered the room, which is great, um, especially once we're looking at uh, how the interior of the defensive line was pretty much decimated last season. So that was pretty much the uh, position of choice for the Chargers this past year. As in other years, it tends to kind of bounce from one thing to the other. And last year was the D-line's turn. So um, the top guys, Pretty much set in stone there. Um, Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, um, although he is coming off of an injury, but he looks fine going into camp. Um, Otito Obonia is kind of the uh, the question mark here as he had a, a more major injury, bigger guy. I uh, believe, was it another uh, a rupture of the Achilles? Was it the same injury as JC's, I believe, somewhere about that? I think that? it was. Okay, yeah. so you're talking about a guy that's 300-plus pounds, going to be a little bit more of a journey for him to recover from that but um you know hopefully all goes well there if not um there's a name that i think and a lot of people as you mentioned already um are looking at as a more popular guy who can come in and maybe take the reins or contribute some in the event that uh a bonia isn't able to go early on which is why i think he will make the 53 and that's a conversation that we'll get to this weekend but um Morgan Fox is kind of one of those guys that's a tweener. You can uh, line him up at four-eye, kick him on inside, um, and some of those uh, smaller fronts when you want to go sort of kind of NASCAR. Not a guy that you definitely want to have on your earlier downs to stop the run, although he plays it a little bit better than you would expect for a guy his size, but um, really don't want to line up in a base defense when you have to with a, a smaller uh, defensive end. Um, but – with the rest of the group, some of these guys I think are pretty much just names. Um, no respect to them, no. David Moa, uh, Nick Williams, he has experience with uh, the Bears, so he's familiar with the scheme, which may give him a leg up going into camp. So uh, just depending on how many guys they're planning on keeping, he's someone that can be in the mix. Uh, Scott Matlock being there also is one of my favorite guys um, that the Chargers were able to get later in the draft that I think is going to play a pretty big part 
and uh, this scheme moving into this season. You can kind of be your Morgan Fox going forward or someone who could do some similar things just in a bigger frame. And uh, but for me, my eyes are squarely on Gerard Clark. This is because he offers you what you haven't had at a true nose tackle position um, in a very long time. Uh, we all know who the most popular person was there and Jamal Williams and Chargers fans have pretty much been clamoring for someone to come in and play that role. And I truly do believe that at this point, this season, there's going to be an opportunity for him to step in and uh, make some headway and be a solid contributor. Um, in regards to the line as a whole, it's kind of up in the air. Um, the, the defensive play wasn't great, even when all the starters were available, um, serviceable at times, but I don't think it was a, a strong suit of the defense if there was such a thing. But um, it's just nice to have some, again, fresher blood in there, some guys that are specialists, but also uh, a nice blend of different types of players, whether it's your true noses, like I mentioned before, and uh, Jared Clark, Gerard Clark. Or Scott Matlock, who you can move up and down the line, just mix in there with the Austin Johnsons and the Sebastian Joseph days. Um, and we'll see how Otito recovers. So um, should be a fun group to watch during camp to see how everything shakes out. Yeah, so this is a group that I think is pretty interesting. Uh, so when Staley took over in 2021, they carried five interior defensive linemen. Last year, they bumped that up to six. Uh, and this is a group that honestly we're used to basically feeling the dregs, you know, that we're used to them fielding five guys having maybe two legitimate options. Uh, you know, the hopes and prayers with, with guys like Tillery, um, and other projects they've had on the, on the defensive line. And we don't really have that, you know, um, overly optimistic, hopeful, you know, prayer type of project who's going to be getting major snaps. So they, they, they're just waiting to figure things out. This is a pretty experienced group. Uh, it's a group that I would say they'll probably carry six guys again this year, just based on the 11 they have on the roster going into camp. Um, you know, you, you know, going in, there's at least three guys on this list, actually four guys on this list who are locks to make it possibly five. That being Sebastian Joseph day, Austin Johnson. Of course we got to wait and see what happens with his injury when he's going to come back. Like you mentioned, Morgan Fox, um, Scott Matlock, the recent round pick or sixth round pick, excuse me, and Atito Albania. And then you've got a bunch of guys battling out for one spot. Uh, you know, Christopher Hinton's a guy who played really well in very limited snaps uh, last last six games of the year down the stretch last year. Uh, seems like they like him. He's actually the youngest guy in the group. And for once, they're in a position where they have a project in Hinton who they don't really need to get major snaps from. They can kind of bury him on the depth chart if they want to carry him. Uh, they might even be able to sneak him onto the practice squad, and they don't have to force him onto the roster. And that's kind of a good spot to be in based on you know where they've been in years past, I think. Um, and then you mentioned Nick Williams, that veteran piece fighting for a spot. Uh, Gerard Clark fighting for a spot. David Moa is a guy who was around a little bit last year who they seem to like a little bit. So there's, there's, you know, four or five guys competing for probably one spot. Mm -hmm. uh, you could see a couple of those guys sneak on if Johnson and, uh, and Tito aren't ready to go, um, coming out of camp, We're not really sure what their timeline is right now. So it's hard to say, um, you know, I think most projections right now have Johnson and, and, uh, Tito being ready when camp breaks, we'll see. Uh, but if not, 
you know, you could have two guys making that roster who they maybe sneak on in the practice squad down the line. If, if those two start the year on, on the pup list. So kind of an interesting group um, and an unusual amount of depth uh, for this interior defensive line group. Some guys who can play some veteran guys who we know are going to produce when they're in there and, you know, some versatile, you know, kind of tweener pieces towards the back of the depth chart who can play multiple positions and offer different types of production. So Matt Locke is a guy that I'm excited to watch. Loved watching him, um, his film after they drafted him. Very athletic, very productive on the interior, you know, in this kind of, you know, muddled 3-4 defense that the Chargers play. You know, Matt Locke's a guy who can play some three technique. He can play some five technique. He stood up in college. So a lot of a lot of options there, which is good. You kind of see Matt Locke as maybe that potential Morgan Fox kind of tweener. He's he's bigger than Fox, but yep. in, in a similar kind of a role. So lo- lots of interesting options. Lots of guys that are going to be worth keeping an eye on camp. Um, so I, I'm excited for that group because normally we're looking at this interior defensive line group like, oh, my God, they're going to carry five guys and four of them are going to be crap. Yeah. And that's not the situation we're in this year. Yeah, and good call out on Hinton. I don't know how it completely slipped my mind, but he's definitely a guy that they seem to uh, have some confidence in, and he did perform pretty well in his time on the field. Looks like he could uh, really develop into a a potential penetrator they can use on uh, passing downs. So uh, just interested to see how he developed during the offseason. Haven't really seen, like, of course, there's no film to watch uh, since last year to kind of delve into, but going into camp, seeing how he performs. Just want to kind of look to see um, if he's slimmed up at all, if he's bulked up whatsoever, just to get a feel for the type of player he's going to be utilized as um, on the interior, if he's going to be more of a pass rusher, if they're going to look for him to uh, be a a gap and a half guy. So, uh, again, like you mentioned, lots of names to choose from, which is uh, a far cry from what we've been accustomed to in recent years. Uh, Now, if a guy or two happens to go down, um, you're not completely uh, direct for the talent. Um, well, at least young potential there that can get in and uh, maybe earn some uh, additional playing time moving forward. So uh, it's, a, it's an exciting group, I think. Yeah, should be a fun battle to watch to see who gets that, you know, that sixth spot and also to see, you know, how Austin Johnson and Tito fare in terms of their injuries. Are they able to come back? Can they produce right away? Or are they going to be on a little bit of a longer timeline? So, um I think Scott says here, he says he'd really like to have six deep. Um, I think that's probably what we're going to be looking at. And then I could easily see them carrying at least two guys from a depth perspective um, on that, in that group on the practice squad, maybe even three, depending on how things shake out. So I think they'll have good depth on the, on the uh, 53. And then I think they'll have some, some interesting pieces that they think they can develop on the practice squad. So could go into the season with as many as eight guys at their disposal, depending on how things shake out. So exciting. Cause we're not used to that kind of depth. No. All right. Uh, unless you've got anything else on that group, let's move, let's go ahead and move on to the outside linebackers or the edge group. So yeah. I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and start with this one. Uh, the edge group, Obviously, we know that group is headed up by Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. You've also got Chris Rump and uh, Thule competing for that uh, edge three spot. Uh, Whoever loses that likely to make the roster as edge four. 
Then you've got guys like Carlo Kemp, who flashed at times in camp last year, Ty Shelby, who flashed at times last year, and you know, very much developmental pieces, guys who are going to need some time in Andrew Farmer and Brevin Allen, um, you know, kind of bringing up the rear of that group, so to speak. Uh, and this is another group that's, I think there should be some fun battles to watch. I think, you know, those first four spots are, they're, they're going to carry, my guess is they're going to carry four edge guys going into the season. They carried three last year, but they, they also had um, KVN on the roster and he was technically their, their third or fourth edge. So really four, but the, the when the roster broke, that you know they had three guys listed as edge players. I would expect four this year. Um, and then the question is, how many edges can they carry? Um, you know, on the practice squad, and what kind of traits are they looking for in those guys? Kemp is a guy who I liked in camp last year. He flashed at times and played. I thought a really smart brand of football in the preseason. Seemed to be uh, reading running plays really well. He was disciplined. Wasn't you know getting blown off the ball flashed as a pass rusher so some some traits to like there shelby also flashed quite a bit as a pass rusher playing with the twos and threes last year farmer's a guy who i like he's he's i think he's going to be pretty much a stand-up edge at the next level he's like 6'4 250 with really long arms uh good burst hasn't really played against you know top-notch competition but was very very productive against the competition he did play against uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he handles playing against a higher level of competition in camp. Hopefully he gets a chance to go up against some of the starting offensive linemen to see how he looks. But I think there's, um, there's some athletic traits, some length that they can develop there. Some a good burst off the edge. Uh, he's just not very refined. He's used to bullying people. He really hasn't had to have a diverse move set coming off the edge. So that's a guy who I think they're going to be looking to develop in terms of counters and hand usage. He, he bludgeoned tackles at, at the level that he played at, but he was playing against, you know, future car salesmen and, and rest, you know, waiters. So not there's anything wrong with that, but it is what it is. Uh, and then there's Brevin Allen, another guy who I really like a guy who really dominated again at his level. Uh, he was very, very good uh, for a couple of years uh, in college uh, a guy who I think is very enticing. He plays at about 265, another guy with good length. Um, to me, I think the thing with him is he his game is very segmented. And what I mean by that is he gets good burst off the line. He kind of stalls out in his pass rush if he doesn't win right away. And then you can kind of see him thinking through the different phases of his pass rush. Uh, he keeps his eyes on the football. He changes directions well. He closes like a bat out of hell. Both he and Farmer really finish their tackles. If they can, if they can reach you, you're probably going down, which is fun to watch with those guys. And they change direction, and they're really good in pursuit. Uh, Allen is a guy who also looked good in coverage at times, running down the field with running backs, showing good athleticism and length to break up passes down the field. Um, he's a little bigger at 265. He can stand up and play outside. He's another. He's a guy who I think can play some five technique. You might see him play kind of that Morgan Fox, you know, tweener role at times. Uh, but they kind of need to smooth out his pass rush and bring the different phases together and teach him some counters. And I think they might have something there. So a lot of fun to watch. I think it's going to be interesting to see who they keep on the practice squad, kind of knowing going in who's going to make the roster. 
and I'm going to have fun watching Farmer and Allen compete because I think both those guys are going to be a lot of fun to watch in practice. Yeah, I agree with you, uh, especially on the back end there. Uh, those younger guys, undrafted cats, are going to be uh, two names to keep an eye out for just because of the athleticism. Um, super raw, but an opportunity for them to get out there in the preseason and really kind of show what they can do. Um, anxious to see how they uh, develop during camp, the type of reps that they get, because there's a lot to build off of there. But just kind of funneling back up to the top of the depth chart, the top names are the top names. We know who they are, you know, what their placement is going to be. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a big year for Chris Rumpf uh, as far as development is concerned. Uh, you've mentioned it a bunch of times. He has a father who's a coach in the NFL, and it doesn't seem to have translated much to, uh, you know, his play on the field from a technique standpoint. Um, he's a leaner guy, which was always going to make things a little bit more difficult for him. Um, he was never going to be an every down edge player. It's probably going to be more of a niche outside pass rusher. And it still hasn't materialized to the point that maybe we'd all hope for to this point. But uh, again, you know, year three here, so an opportunity for him to really step his game up. Maybe what he was a string bean year one. What was the nickname? The second one, I don't know. Is he asparagus now? Which one? I think that? it was asparagus. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, hopefully, uh, can he be like edamame now? Yeah. <laughs> like a little chunky here, whatever, just hopefully he can get out on the field and, you know, he's going to have to be a, a little bit more crafty with regard to getting to the quarterback. I mean, his game is kind of more slippery than it is power or like super duper finesse. Um, it's just more, if I would throw a term out there, it would be more crafty, um, high effort, a guy that kind of gets skinny to get uh, to the quarterback and utilizes his length and slenderness to uh, his advantage. So if that's going to be his game, he's going to have to perfect it. Uh, Thule is one of the unsung guys in the draft. I mean, someone who led the NCAA in sacks last year, you would imagine that he would get a little bit more shine or, you know, discussion in some of those uh, more, uh, well, I mean, in the professional ranks, we don't know what they talk about. He could have been a bigger name amongst guys in the leagues, but as far as like the prognosticators and people who do this for a living, talking about it every day, um, his name wasn't really up there amongst some of the top ed edge rushers. And it's because he's more of a tweener not really a natural edge rusher per se. He's going to be a guy that they can maneuver inside and out, which, and I've mentioned this before, I'm really curious to see what he shows up to camp weight wise at. Um, I know he dropped down to a perform at pro days in the combine. So he was more in the two sixties then, but he played more around like 280, 290 ish. So uh, I think it would behoove him to be somewhere in the middle. Um, he's not the most athletic guy, but um, he does get around the edge quicker than what you think. And um, he knows how to bend and get down the line towards the quarterback. Another high motor, high effort guy. And uh, you can never have enough of those, uh, you know, a relentless pursuit after the quarterback or causing tackles for loss in the backfield on running backs. He's got that in spades. And uh, the fact that you can line him up on the inside or outside, you know, we can play some four eye. You might <laughs> um, use him as a, a five tech um, stand-up edge. You've got all of that in his toolbox. Um, he's got some pretty decent hands. And so the technique is there. He can grow. And yeah, I think he'll be someone who can contribute maybe even more so than Chris Rump. So we'll be surprised as, as the year goes on, you see a little bit more of Thule than you even do Rump. Um, Carlo Kemp was someone that I was also a bigger fan of that I wished got some more run during the season last year, just because of sheer size. I think he's 
sitting at about like 280. And of course, we knew the Chargers were a very leaky run defense, to put it nicely. But particularly on the edges, to have a bigger person out there that you can use to kind of clog up or get guys on outside zone, um, someone who can hold up against tight ends and tackles. Uh, we know that that wasn't uh, KVN's specialty, lighter side, um, even though he was kind of initially pegged to be someone that can come in and be used on the in or outside, but just kind of due to injuries, things of that nature, he had to play a little bit more edge than what they anticipated. Um, so I was really hoping Kemp saw the field more than he did. Just didn't work out for whatever reason. Uh, Ty Shelby, another person with some um, opportunity there. But um, my two guys are going to be the ones that you mentioned, the undrafted uh, free agents. Brevin Allen in particular, because uh, he was on my top list, I think the top five undrafted rookie free agents. And Allen was on my list somewhere. I think he might have been three or four, somewhere around those parts. Um mainly for the athleticism. Uh, like you mentioned also, the fact that um, one of his best plays I saw was him peeling off of the edge and tracking a running back down that was running a real wheel route. Get it together, Craig. And he got a PBU, which is really impressive to see in space because it's not something you see from uh, bigger defensive ends or edge players. And uh, I think that he has that ability um, if he can somehow kind of – and you go through the tutelage of playing behind a Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. That's very helpful. So from a, a technique standpoint, he can grow there. Uh, Farmer has tremendous length and is another one of those traits guys that I think that they're going to want to keep around. So between the two of them, if I'm thinking the way that the Chargers like to operate, they probably are bigger fans of Farmer than Allen. But um, I could see either one of those guys end up being like, or both of them practice squad cast. They try to uh, keep and develop. So, uh, it's very rare that you see someone excited uh, for, you know, bottom of the roster, maybe makes the 53 or probably ends up being practice squad player guys. But these are two that I'm really excited for. Yeah. Um, just to kind of follow up what you were saying about Thule, you know, you were mentioned mentioning that he didn't get a lot of run uh, in the draft process. And you were a little bit surprised by that because he led the nation in sacks. I think part of that has to do with the fact that if you watch him, there are a lot of things that he does pretty well, but there's nothing that he does so well outside of probably his hands that you look at and say, that's how he's going to win at the next level. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what concerns me about him. He bends pretty well. He's got a good burst. I wouldn't say it's great. It, it comes and goes. Um, he was really successful lining up as a middle linebacker and charging the A and B gaps with a free run at the guards. He just murdered guards with his hands and his speed. Um, he showed some good counters. You mentioned the motor, but how is he going to win at the next level? Is he going to win with athleticism? Probably not. Is he going to win with technique? That's probably going to be his calling card. But I think what concerns me about that is he doesn't have great length. So his hands are going to have to be perfect. And his technique is going to have to be flawless for him to get inside of the pads of tackles and win on a consistent basis because he's just not going to race around these guys more often than not. So those hands are going to have to be perfect. I think he can have really, really good hands. His hands are already, I would say, pretty advanced for a college player. Uh, just not sure if the length is going to match up and allow him to win as a technician 
as much as he's probably going to have to, to be successful. So we'll see. There's some things there to develop. Uh, but I think the fact that he can move around, play a little inside, play some outside, stand up. Um, I think all that stuff bodes well for him. And it's probably why he's going to wind up being, um, you know, edge three by mid season. If not by the time they break camp, um, they're just going to have to figure out what it is that he does well and really focus on that and put him in a position to do it as much as possible. Um, other than that, I think this group is pretty straightforward. You're just trying to figure out who's going to make the practice squad at the end of the day and in what order Thule and Rumpf are going to make the roster. You know, Rumpf is – he's a speed and burst guy, doesn't use his hands that well. I think that's the most disappointing thing for, for about him for me. You mentioned it. I've said it a lot. His dad coaches defensive line in the NFL, and his hands are not good. His technique is not great. He's entering year three. Hopefully with a second full offseason under his belt, there will be some some strides made there. Hopefully he's beefed up and he can hold it hold up on the edge. Um, but otherwise, he's looking more and more like a fairly limited situational pass rusher at best. Yeah, and that's also why I think, and you spoke to this, Thule probably ends up getting a little bit more run throughout the season because he offers you more. And honestly, I don't know that Rumpf can add that much more good weight to his frame. I don't think he's ever going to be one of those guys who's going to walk around at, you know, consistently 275, 280 and be able to carry it well. He just doesn't really look to have the frame for it. So, yeah, uh, he's going to have to be someone who utilizes what he does have uh, from an athletic standpoint. He's not super athletic, which is a little disappointing for someone of his size. Um, you would want to be a little bit more nimble if you're not going to have the size. And, um, yeah, uh, Thule just gives you more from being able to reduce down, stand up on the outside, and just being stronger at the point of attack. Um, there's going to be, I'm sure, certain opportunities or times when maybe both of them are on the field at the same time, and you absolutely want Thule lining up on the strong side and keeping <laughs> Rumpf as far away from it as humanly possible. Yep, I think that pretty much wraps up the outside linebackers. So let's go ahead and talk about the guys in the middle of the defense. Um, so this this linebacker group, I think one thing that stands out looking at it is there is not a whole lot of, well, really there isn't any experience depth. Pretty much everybody not named Kenneth Murray and Eric Kendricks is a developmental piece in some way, shape, or form. And that's a little worrisome. But this group is made up of Kenneth Murray, Eric Kendricks, Dion Henley, Nick Neiman, Amen Agbagwin-Miaga, Mikkel Jones, and Tyreek Maddox-Williams. So, Craig, why don't you give us your thoughts on the linebackers? Let me give you props first and foremost, because I know Eamon's name was not always your uh, favorite to have to pronounce, <laughs> and I think you did pretty well. I've had there. a couple years to practice it. <laughs> there you go. It's worked out. Uh, so, with this group, yep, uh, starting at the top, it's really weird because when you look at experience and Kenneth Murray being the uh, second most experienced guy, uh, it's not ideal. But playing next to Eric Kendrick, someone who has performed in the league at a high level, um, been a pro bowl, all pro player. Uh, maybe that helps Kenneth along. Uh, also, you know, not having his fifth year option picked up. Hopefully there's inspiration for him to go a little bit harder. But 
good old Deion Henley is just sitting there lurking. And even though he is an older prospect, I think is he 22, 23 already, um, hasn't played the position for very long, maybe three to four years. But instinctually, he's better than Murray already. Uh, just watching him from you know the Washington State film, uh, you know, we talked about this when we did like our offseason uh, reviews of the draft picks. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he is very athletic. And he uses that to his advantage. Um, he doesn't seem to be fooled by uh, window dressing as much as Kenneth Murray is. And you can just see him. He looks just more fluid on the field, specifically in pass coverage. Uh, uh, I mean, I know that Mr. Brandon Staley believes that Kenneth Murray is or was at one point the best coverage linebacker on the team, which, you know, whatever, if that's what his eyes told him. But uh, Deion Henley's definitely got him beat there for the time being from what I see. And uh, as far as the guys behind him, uh, Eamon and Nick Neiman are or have proven to be pretty good special teamers, particularly Neiman. And that's someone that I've always kind of had an eye on to develop more into um, a role to get some snaps on the defense, just because you can see his instincts just on special teams. He's one of the better performers there. And if you notice, that's kind of the path for a lot of these um, lesser or guys, I mean, I mean to put it that way, but guys that, you know, typically you wouldn't expect to see getting really major snaps. That's the way that they make it onto the field. They earn their stripes on special teams. It's the way that um, a couple of guys have done it. It looks like he may go that route. So there's opportunity for him to jump, um, maybe even Eamon, uh, that I know they like, but, you know, he's dealt with some injuries and there are some, some inconsistencies there with uh, being able to read inside of the box. Um, when you go a little bit further down, Michael Jones, Nathan East, and uh, Tyreek Maddox-Williams, not a whole lot to say about them. Um, it's going to be one of those wait-and-see things in camp. Uh, just from watching what I've seen, what from what I've seen on tape, mostly from an athletic standpoint, East has something to offer as well as Jones, but they just right now, it just seems like guys, they're going to try to plug in to see what they have. And there isn't much to lean on in the way of production at a high level. So for me, it just kind of boils down to those top four to five names right around Nick Neiman. After that, it's kind of crapshoot. Uh, we know that Amen Neiman are probably going to be locks and everyone above that, of course, but the guys under not quite sure. So it's not, the most inspiring of groups on the team. And also you have to look at it from this standpoint, the Chargers are really going to need that interior defensive line to stay healthy because it's going to be paramount that they keep these guys clean. Uh, if you don't have tremendous second level talent, then your guys up front have to be able to uh, maneuver or should I say, keep guys off of them so that they can maneuver and make plays. Otherwise uh, it's slim pickings after you get through Henley and um, you could get attacked at the second level consistently all over again. And, you know, the last thing you want to do is see guys just gliding through um, the uh, past the line of scrimmage through the second level with just one-on-ones in the secondary. It's not a pretty sight. Um, so ultimately those two, uh, the front, the defensive line and the linebackers are tied together. And I think the success of the guys at the second level uh, lie pretty heavily on what happens up front. So um, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, one thing that stands out to me looking at the linebacker group is, and we've talked about this, is there is not 
in my opinion, a lot of value being placed on the linebacker position in the Chargers front office and in the coaching staff. Uh, much like last year, and we said this last year, and I think it still applies this year, I, I feel like that linebacker position is really just there almost entirely for special teams value outside of the first two guys. They're obviously hoping to develop Dion Henley into a starter, take him with a third-round pick. You know, you, you think there's something there. Um, <clears throat> Amon led the team in special team snaps last year. He is the core special teamer. He, barring just a miserable camp or somebody blowing him out of the water, he's probably going to be there as the primary special teams, the core special teams player once again. Nick Neiman, fourth on the team in special team snaps. Another guy who they value for his special teams abilities. Is he going to get on the field more? I think they like the athleticism. I think they, they probably see him as offering some value and coverage. Um, not sure that he offers much in terms of, you know, being a downhill run stuffer, but, uh, you know, I, I think they're, they're looking at him as an athletic developmental piece. Uh, one guy that you mentioned who I like, and I think there's something there particularly on special teams early on and could be something developed down the line is I, I like Mikel Jones. He's the one guy who, to me, uh, he did have production at a reasonably high level uh, playing in the, in the big East. Is that right? Uh, for Syracuse. Mm. Um, he had some up and down production, but he had two really good years. And I think he had one year with well over a hundred tackles. Uh, he was a guy who was around the line of scrimmage, made a lot of tackles around the line of scrimmage and actually showed up quite a bit in coverage at times. And he wasn't used in this role a lot, but he did flash as a pass rusher. I thought he felt he showed some really good feel for finding seams and not necessarily getting to the quarterback, but applying pressures and speeding things up for the quarterback a little bit. Um, he's a guy who did not test particularly well. I think his RAS score was somewhere at, at around like two or two and a half really mm -hmm. did not test well at all. Um, but to me watching him on tape, he knows what's going on. And he relies on his instincts to get downhill and get to his spot and make plays. And when he hits you, you go down, which is not something you've been able to say about this linebacker group for quite a while. So Jones is a guy I would keep an eye on in camp. Do I think he makes a team remains to be seen? I think, you know, they carried five linebackers, I think last year. No, they carried six linebackers last year. So there's always the, there's always a chance they could carry, um, six again. I kind of doubt it because KVN was that hybrid edge linebacker, which they don't really have this year. Um, and they're going to need to fill spots in other, at other positions, but I keep an eye on Jones. He could at least be a productive, uh, you know, useful, um, uh, practice squad stash, uh, a guy who I think was a team captain at Syracuse was very productive and fell mostly because he didn't test well, but I think there are, you know, mental traits there that they could lean on and develop and at least get a very productive special teams player out of down the line. Yeah. Well, know that you mentioned them not really having that hybrid guy, but you know, that Staley kind of looks at Kenneth Murray as someone that could potentially play that role. So unless he's just talking it up, then, you know, he essentially kind of mans that a uh, KVN role in the event, per possibly Dayon Henley steps up and gets some more snaps on the inside 
they could probably find a way to get him on the field that way too, but that's just maybe pie in the sky stuff. So, yeah, I mean, does Staley see Murray as the hybrid guy? Does um, does uh, um, Tom see him as the hybrid guy? Are they just is that just wishful thinking? Trying to find something that he does well because we we're still waiting. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Obviously, I think Mur- I think Murray makes the team. He's going to be on the field a lot early in the season, and I would keep an eye out for Henley slowly start eating into Murray's snaps, being that he's a third round pick, and they've already you know they're going to decline Murray's fifth round option. I think the writing's on the wall there that they're ready to start phasing him out at some point this season. Um, all right, let's move on to the DBs. So defensive backs, this is another pretty big group. A lot of um, a lot of UDFAs, a lot of uh, developmental pieces, but we've got Michael Davis, J.C. Jackson, Asante Samuel Jr., Jasir Taylor, Dean Leonard, Kimon Hall, Michael Jaquette, Taiwan Mullen, Cameron Brown, and I, I, I'm, I know I'm going to mess this up, but <laughs> A.J. Uzadima. So Sounds like me. I think I got it right. We'll, I think you we'll got it. just go with the phonetic sounding, the phonetic, phonetic, uh, phonetics, I guess. So anyway, um, looking at this group, I mean, I think we know pretty much what the top five spots on this group are going to look like. I think the biggest question with this group for me is, do they have enough depth? Can they roll into the season with five corners? Because this is a group that, you know, they're, they're kind of in transition. Well, they are in transition. Michael Davis is in the last year of his contract. JC Jackson's contract, he's entering year two, but he's coming off of a pretty horrific injury. Uh, they're going to have to figure out what to do with Asante Samuel Jr. here in the near future, in the next couple of years. Um, and then you've got Jasir Taylor and Dean Leonard who are, they flashed at times, either in the preseason or during the regular season, but we still don't really know what we have. You know, is can Jasir play outside? Is he going to be primarily a, a slot guy? Can he play safety? Can they cross-train Leonard at safety? Uh, I think this is a group where you could make a really strong argument for, you know, let's say, for example, they don't keep six wide receivers. Or let's say, for example, they only go with five linebackers. This would be one area where I think you could make a really strong argument for keeping a six player just because you don't know what's going to happen with JC. And if he goes down, it kind of throws the whole group into flux again. So, um, you know, Hall is a guy who's provided a lot of special teams value, Keemon Hall, a lot of special teams value in the past. That could wind up keeping him on the roster. Um, Taiwan Mullen, another slot guy. He's Trayvon Mullen's younger brother, I believe. Uh, had some was, – was reasonably productive in college. Um, and then a guy that I like, a UDFA that I like, who I think he made my top five. If not, he was just outside of it is Ohio State cornerback Cameron Brown, a guy mm-hmm. who kind of fits the size and length profile that, that, that they like. He's about six foot, 200 pounds. Uh, he's a solid tackler. He's very tenacious in press coverage. Looks good, not great in zone, but I think they're, I think you can kind of hide him in zone if you need to. Um, but he's a guy who was one of the top-rated cornerback prospects in the country when he was coming out of high school. Uh, never really lived up to the hype in college. I think he had some um, injury issues, had a, had a hard time staying on the field, just didn't quite 
hit his stride at the college level, but he had some big games for, for Ohio state had some productivity. He's got good ball skills, high points the ball really well, and is a good athlete. And he's a guy who I'll be watching in camp to see if maybe he can work his way either into the top five or six, or at least onto the practice squad. Cause I think there's something, I think there's something to be, to work with there. Yeah. So it's another group that, like you, I feel like if it isn't properly managed, then it's pretty irresponsible uh, going into the season. We all hope that J.C. Jackson is recovered and ready to go. But um, after a horrific injury like that, you can't bank on it. Um, and then even if he is 100 percent or aroundabouts, um, he was working his way into the scheme. And it didn't look great in the few games that he did play. That could be due to injury. I mean, he had a foot problem before the a major injury that took him out. So I'm sure all that played a part in it. Um, he performed very well um, during the offseason last year. So maybe it was just about the foot. And then, um, you know, on the play that he was injured on, freak play where he was in a position to potentially make an interception and he was playing better that game. And lo and behold, that's when he goes down for the season. So really unfortunate. Um, yep. Like you mentioned, the top guys are pretty much there and it gets really murky um, after ASJ. And then the question then becomes is what is ASJ's, I guess, situation going into this year where they're going to uh, play him, whether it's going to be um, that he lines up on the outside in like three, four wide sets, or um, if it's just base defense, are you going to sub him out with Jasir Taylor just because we know that he's not the best in run support? Um, so interesting to see what they roll out with. Of course, Nichols, typically the primary defense. So he very well may be your, uh, your starting nickel, maybe. But, um, you know, Jasir Taylor has the ability to play star. He's done that. Um, so he's going to be more of an inside guy. I think he's better suited inside than outside. Uh, you mentioned Michael Davis and it being the last year. And I don't think he gets enough credit for how important he actually is to the defense. Um, we kind of saw that everything went to hell in the uh, wild card game after he went out in the second half. Uh, you know, it was just kind of ball flying all over the field. No bigger boundary corner out there to defend and uh, just kind of laid waste to the charge of defense. And so uh, I know that he's, you know, some people like him, some people love him. Other people don't have as high of, of you know, a view on him as a player. I think he's just a key piece to this particular defense, whether you think he's a high level player or not. Um, Kimon Hall is going to be a special teams guy again, someone that you can trust there. But uh, the two are, the two guys, Jasir Taylor and Dean Leonard, um, mentioned cross-training them. I think Dean Leonard probably looks like more of a safety than a corner to me. Um, but when you look at it from that standpoint, doesn't help them in regard to playing corner. So, um, yeah, I would love to see a guy like Cam Brown step up. Like you mentioned, um, you know, Ohio State guy. He has all the requisite ability. It's just didn't put it together in college. What I did notice about him that I really like, though, is that um, he's pretty – pretty tough at the line of scrimmage. He's not afraid to jam. Um, and when we're talking about like someone who's pretty decent in off coverage, I think he's better in off coverage than he is playing press. Like he's not afraid to press anyone, but the technique isn't great, but um, he can play off and he'll come up and tackle you. Um, he's a click and close guy. So um, somebody that you want to be able or a type of player that you would want in that position. Um, um, Michael Jaquette, and you did a much better job pronouncing this than I am. Uzo Dima, 
AJ was a D. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere, something like that. Um, you know, you don't want to get into a position to where you're having to lead, um, lean on or call up one of these guys from the practice squad. I doubt they'll be in a position to produce. So, yeah, I don't necessarily know that they want to go into the season with things as constructed um, or only lean on keeping five corners. This is the position that if you were going to keep a sixth would be a smart way to go. Um, you just can't tell. Uh, I, As much as I want J.C. Jackson to be what he was, you can't just bank on that working out and he's kind of going to be the guy that makes everything else go. Um, if he can lock up a team's number one, you know, playing the field corner with Davis you know, manning the boundary, then you're working with something. If those guys can stay on the field, the majority of the season, you're in pretty good shape. But the second either one of them goes down, then you're finding yourself in a bit of a rut and um, things could get ugly in a hurry unless your pass rush is tremendous this season. Yeah, so you mentioned it. I think Michael Davis is a guy who deserves a lot of credit for the turnaround the Chargers had defensively, or at least, you know, plugging some of the gaps that they had defensively uh, late in the year last year when they made their run towards the end of the season. He's a guy who allowed them to simplify things, I think, in coverage. Um, they weren't, it didn't seem like they were leaning as much on zone coverages and complicated rotations, trying to confuse defenses. It was just, Mike, you're going to line up on their number one receiver. You're going to jam the shit out of them and just run with them and see if he can beat you. And more often than not, they couldn't. Mm -hmm. He was really good. That game he had against Miami last year, outside of tripping uh, on that fluke touchdown to Tariq Hill, was phenomenal. Yeah. He was really good. And his ability to basically take away Tyreek Hill uh, really changed their, their ability to cover everybody else. Um, JC is the guy that's going to get the attention. He's the guy that's getting the big bucks, but Mike is doing the dirty work and they need Mike to be really good again this year. Like you said, when he went out in the wild card game, the whole defense fell apart. Uh, they couldn't cover anybody all of a sudden it was bad. So they're going to need him to play really well. He's a guy who I really thought probably was going to get an extension heading into the season to help move some money around and help with the cap. That didn't happen. I'm a little surprised. It just seemed like an easy, no-brainer kind of a move. Not sure why it didn't happen. Um, but uh, he's a guy that you'd really like to see play well and hopefully get paid again in the offseason because I do think he has the ability to be very productive and he just gives them some length that they don't otherwise really have outside. And between his length and his athleticism, um, I think you know he's really come a long way in coverage and having him out there would really help and give them the flexibility to, like you mentioned, kind of rotate um, Asante Samuel Jr. and Jasir Taylor. Um, Hall is a guy who, you know, you were talking about Taylor. Um, uh, you were talking about Taylor kind of playing that, that star role, being able to play inside. Um, Hall is another guy who can play some money, play some star. He can play outside. Um, and he provides some special teams value. So he's a guy that I would keep an eye on. If they carry a sixth, he's been around for two or three years now. He seems like a guy who, you know, if they decide to carry an extra body, would probably have an inside track, at least right now, being that extra body, assuming, you know, one of the UDFAs doesn't doesn't pass him up. But he's a guy, he's a guy I'd watch closely in camp 
from special from a special teams point and just to see how he's developing in coverage and can he hang on the roster. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> just to mention now that we're talking through it, you could argue that Michael Davis is actually more important to the defense than JC Jackson is just because they don't have another Davis. Um, not someone with his athletic profile that they can line up on the bigger receivers, hell, even tight ends. Um I agree. I mean, we've seen it. You know, it's it's been hot and cold at times, but uh in 2021 there was a stretch there where uh Michael Davis was you know, he was lining up against and shutting down guys like Derek Waller or Darren Waller, excuse me, Travis Kelsey, uh, lining up against number one wide receivers and shutting them down, just shadowing guys all over the field and basically erasing them. Yeah. And he, you know, he's had his ups and downs. He really, actually, that might have been in 2020. I think that was in 2020 because he struggled in 2021 when they shifted to the new system under Staley. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like he got his legs under him last year and really found a role in this defense that I'm not so sure they had, they, they realized they even had for him until JC went down. So I agree. I, I don't think it's even an argument. I think he is extremely valuable. He's a guy they need to be on the field and be productive so that everybody else can do their jobs and they don't have to ask too much of the other guys because they know that they can, that, that he can fill that role for them and help shut people down. Yeah. You put this time into developing a player like that, that, you know, not many had their eye on when you got him. And, you know, be ashamed, just kind of let him walk. I mean, right now you pretty much have him on a pretty decent contract and extending him out would have been ideal in my eyes. But it's just one of those things, you know, charges take these guys um, that no one really wants, put in the time and effort, build them up and then allow them to walk. And it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that was under a previous ownership or previous Mm -hmm. regime. So um, maybe that changes a little bit with Staley, who has been vocal about not quitting on people and, you know, trying to figure out what guys do well and sticking to that. So maybe that helps Davis, Mm. but he was, he was phenomenal last year and he was a huge part of that late season run that helped turn things around. Uh, And, you know, based on the way that they used him, which I think was pretty different from the way that they were using JC when he was healthy, I would hope that his success and the defense's success with him on the field um, I would kind of hope that that taught stay a little bit about simplifying things and just letting people do what they do well. Um, Cause we've talked about it. I think there is a tendency with Staley to ask a little bit too much of everybody uh, ask guys to fill four or five, six roles at a time and overcomplicating things. And I think that's where a lot of their struggles come from. And when he had to simplify things last year with all the injuries, when they were playing all the deaf guys, uh, they played exceptionally well. And hopefully that's something that carries over into 2023 because there is talent on that defense. They just need to put the guys in the right positions to be successful. Yeah, they were almost forced into simplifying, uh, especially when Darwin was out for a few games. And, I mean, didn't play in the Miami game. We saw what the defensive performance was there, signs like a couple of fluky plays. But, yeah, uh, maybe Staley, having been forced into simplifying things, have learned a lesson and uh, takes that into this year and applies it. Yep. So next group, we're going to talk about the safeties. Um, and that group is obviously made up of Derwin James, Aloha Gilman, JT Woods, Tyler Baker Williams, AJ Finley, Mark Webb, and Raheem Taylor. So or, I'm sorry, Raheem Lane. Excuse me. So um, 
let's just break this group down a little bit. So my my concern here is I don't trust anybody really after Derwin. None of them. Yeah. Um, we're looking at Alohi Gilman being the second safety on the field, the the prime the, the second starting safety uh, in this group, which to me is a little scary. I don't think um, I don't really think that this that uh, Alohi is suited to playing single high. I don't particularly like him all that much playing too high. He's a little better in that role, but not great. And the tackling is really hit or miss at times. Uh, I'm not really sure what he's good at. I don't think he's a great athlete. Uh, so I'm a little concerned about that group. And obviously you talk about JT Woods. So, that, you know, big questions behind those starters. Can JT Woods tackle? Uh, are his turnovers from college going to translate at the next level? Does Mark Webb even really exist? Mm-hmm. Um and what you know? What do they have in Raheem Taylor or Raheem Lane? Is he going to be a guy who sticks as a as the fourth safety? Is it going to be Mark Webb? Um, and what do they have in AJ Finley and Tyler Baker Williams? I think there's an opportunity here. I think they're probably going to carry four safeties coming out of camp. But this is another group, kind of like what we talked about with with the corners, where if you're going to carry an extra body and go with five. This is a group where I think you need to do it because there just isn't a lot of depth in this group. And there isn't a lot of trust in this group outside of Derwin, at least for me. Well, no, I see exactly where you're coming from. And I share those sentiments, uh, particularly when we're looking at the free safety position. Uh, You never want Gilman in single high. Just doesn't have the athleticism for it. If I give him credit for anything, and this almost sounds like an insult, but he's a feisty football player. Like, uh, you know, if he sees it, he'll attack it. And when he's locked in and understands and can read a play, um, then he doesn't hesitate. Whether he reads it in the run, he attacks coming downhill, or if it's um, like you saw him play against the Dolphins in that very first play, they went straight at him with Tyreek Hill. He understood what the play was. Uh, kept his depth and you know if he took one misstep at all then Hill's gonna fly right by him um, so he did a really good job at you know defending his side his um, portion of the field and allowing enough cushion between he and Hill to where that he could run with him late in the play and make a pass breakup uh, do I want to risk that often absolutely not um, too high yeah, more so playing him in two highs as opposed to single. Never want to see him in single, but two highs isn't much better um, unless you're playing like two man and you have him over the top of a cornerback or something like that and helping. But you never want him in one on ones because you can't trust them uh, with uh, the athleticism because he's not a very athletic guy. Say so he's a smart player, but you know, unless you are just perfect and sound technique wise and you're really good at reading what's in front of you. Um, and elite in that way, then you're going to give up some big plays. So hopefully, you know, unless AJ Finley decides or JT Woods, I'm skipping right over good old JT. Uh, Here's the issue with Woods. You played in the big 12 where defense was optional. Totally understand that. Um, But he did play on under Dave Aranda, who's a defensive head coach. Uh, Some of that had to sink in. Uh, you watch him play defense then, and he was not someone who was afraid to come up and tackle. It's just that the technique isn't there, and it almost looks like he plays coming downhill with his eyes closed. Um, that's what 
we noticed in the short time that he played last season and what maybe kept him off of the field. He's got all of the athletic traits. He's fast, tall guy. He looks like someone who should be able to play a single high or a two high, it, it just as far as the measurables are concerned. But when it comes to playing actual football and having to come downhill and tackle, he's a complete liability. Uh, I don't think it's a want-to thing. It just may be a technique thing, which should be able to be fixed. But he's going to have to make some tremendous strides this year or else, uh, you know, he's going to have someone like A.J. Finley actually breathing down his neck because A.J. Finley isn't afraid to tackle. His technique isn't terrible. He's not the overall athlete J.T. Woods is. He's actually more of a natural ball hawk than Woods is. My nickname for Woods, I'm sorry, was Tippy Longstockings because that's basically how he got all of his interceptions. I mean, a majority of them at Baylor, a lot of them came off of tip balls or quarterback overthrowing and the ball just sailing over a receiver into his hands. Uh, I mean, you make the plays where you can, so give him credit for that. But outside of that, Finley is someone who intrigues me just because he seems like more of a natural at the position. So we'll see how that works out. Now, another nickname, Milk Carton Mark Webb, because he might be a real person, but we have no evidence of that yet. I'm When training camp rolls around, maybe he'll convince me otherwise. But at this point, I mean, he's on the roster. Um, we've seen him in the past. So, yeah, we think he's real. But he was someone else that, you know, showed up a little bit when you were looking at him in particular when we were scouting him last season um, or season before last off season, he was someone who showed some ability, especially in coverage, another taller, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call him rangy, but he has his length that he uses to an advantage. I'm not the most athletic guy, but he showed the ability to run with some wide receivers in the slot and some tight ends. Uh, if he can stay healthy, there's definitely a role for him uh, behind Derwin, but it's just like you mentioned, no one else on this list am I confident in whatsoever, which is why it's another reason that hopefully there's a player out there still lingering that everyone knows that we all want. And I showed up in a picture with a couple of other guys that were former teammates of his, and hopefully they could persuade him to come on down because we absolutely need him. Uh, I don't want to take a chance at there being in a situation where Derwin goes down and this is what we're left with. Um, we can possibly cover up for the free, free safety issue, but I mean, if something were to happen to Derwin, then that secondary is in big trouble. And uh, I don't think it's again, responsible uh, from a personnel standpoint to just roll with what you have, because unless again, you have a tremendous pass rush, you're going to be, in a world of crap in the event that your star player, no pun intended, goes down. Yeah, I, you know, <clears throat> um, Finley's a guy who I kind of liked when I was watching the UDFAs. Didn't make my top five, but I saw a lot of the same things that you saw. Not a, not an elite athlete by any stretch, but he definitely understands what's going on around him. He breaks on the ball early. He's able to cover some ground, even though he isn't, you know, explosively fast, uh, but he just gets to where he needs to be. And early on uh, at Old Miss, he wasn't a great tackler, but I felt like his tackling technique improved over the last couple of years. And I felt like he turned himself into a pretty solid football player by the time he graduated from Old Miss. Uh, not super flashy, didn't have a ton of turnovers, but he's around the football a lot. He's a guy who, 
another guy who, if he hits you, you're probably going down. Not, you know, not going to blow people up, not a super physical tackler, more of a kind of a knockdown, drag down tackler, but he gets the job done. And he can cover in the slot. He can cover over the top. Really good in, in too high. Can play some single high. Don't love it there, but it's, you know, he can do it. It's not a complete liability. You know, you mentioned uh, you don't want to risk going into the season and this being what's left if Derwin gets hurt. I'll take it one step further. I wouldn't want to go into the season just with this group, whether Derwin's hurt or not. Yeah. Uh, it It makes me nervous. I'm not going to lie. I, I don't have a lot of faith in Aloha Gilman. Uh, JT Woods, the last time we saw him, granted it was in the preseason and it was very limited. Um, I agree. The tackling thing is not a, it's not a desire thing. It's not a willingness thing. I just think it's in his head. I think there's some tech. There were already some technique technique issues when they drafted him uh, that were major technique issues that were going to have to be cleaned up. And I think he it's it got to the point where he just didn't trust himself to make the tackle. He was willing to, he was coming downhill, but he's out of control. And you can even see it in the college tape. He was flying downhill, but a lot of ankle biting, uh, a lot of arm tackles, uh, just poor angles and poor technique. And you can get away with that stuff in the big, in the big 12. You're not going to get away with that stuff in the NFL, even in the preseason. And it just got exposed. And I think it just got into his head and he just didn't trust himself to make the tackle, and he became tentative. That's what it looked like to me. Hopefully they can fix it. Uh, Tippy Longstockings, that's that's quite a nickname. Uh, JT was the guy who I think he was – he and Aloha were the two the two primary um, sources for it hit him in the tummy yeah. last year. So, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of those picks were tips – they were horribly overthrown balls. Most of them, he didn't even have to move. The ball just hit him right in the stomach. So um, they might have overvalued that a little bit, but there's an, there are a lot of promising athletic traits. Uh, I know they thought when they drafted him, they could turn him into a corner and have him play some slot, have him play some corner, have him play some safety. I said it at the time. I still feel it's the case. We'll see what it looks like in, the, in camp and in the preseason. But to me, I think they bit off – more than they anticipated in drafting him. Developmental curve is going to be a lot slower than what they thought. And they're going to have to work him in slowly. Special teams, you know, sparing defensive snaps. And I think you're probably looking at him primarily being in there as either a single high or a two high, which is scary because if he's not tackling and he's the last line of defense, you might as well not have anybody back there. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. You know, Webb is a guy they love. They feel like he can play money and star, play both safety positions. Um, I don't know. I, I'm still not convinced he really exists. I think he's a figment of our imagination. Uh, I'm sure he's going to get every opportunity to be the, the fourth safety, third or fourth safety on this team. Uh, it should be a pretty heated battle between he and Raheem Lane. And I, I agree with you. I would keep a close eye on A.J. Finley because I think he's a guy who's got a chance to work his way into a rotation and potentially make this team as a fourth or fifth safety just based on a lack of depth and just a need to start developing people behind Derwin and Alohi. Um, so I, I think 
Finley's one of those, one of the few UDFA who I think has a better than average shot of making the roster out of camp. And at the very worst, I think he's going to be on the practice squad. Yeah. So kind of what I was wondering about um, the whole JT Wood selection is if this is more of a Telesco thing than it is Staley, just because it feels almost like a Michael Davis type situation where they see someone with these athletic traits that they feel like they can develop into a, a major player. And it's, I guess I haven't taken the time out, but I will to see what the learning curve is with Woods in comparison to a guy like Davis, because it did take Davis a little while to develop, but I mean, he wasn't going to um, correct me if I'm wrong here. He wasn't necessarily going to be pressed into action as quickly as they were maybe hoping to do with Woods. Um, I know that they saw him as a developmental player, but I think they were hoping that we'd take a big enough leap there um, between camp and uh, maybe jumping in there to get a potential spark starting spot at some point during the season, maybe towards the back end um, that absolutely didn't materialize. And you haven't been hearing much about him during the off season. Even when questioned about him, um, the replies have been pretty uninformative. Honestly, it's not saying very much. Uh, they're not super complimentary of him. Whereas a guy like Gilman talk about the trust level being there. Guys seem to be okay with playing next to him. Derwin definitely seems to be. But um, just super curious. And I'll take some time out, you know, throughout the week to just kind of look to see how long it took for uh, Davis to come along and maybe make the determination of whether or not this might actually have been one of those Telesco things as opposed to Staley. Uh, well, I think the difference is Michael Davis was a UDFA. He wasn't drafted. Yeah. Um, and just bit, just from what I remember from. Um, the inside information we got from Garrett's guy is it just sounded like as a group, they were really high on him. I, I'm not sure we can pin this on Staley versus uh, Telesco, but it sounded like they were all really high on the athletic traits and they were confident in the coaching staff's ability to polish him up and bring those traits out of him sooner rather than later. So I don't know if it, you know, you know, we heard in some, like Henley was a Staley guy We've heard other guys have been Telesco guys. This sounded like it was more of a consensus. They they felt like the whole league was higher on Woods than than what the media was, and that he was going to go sooner rather than later. And they just felt like they couldn't pass on the traits. So that's that was the impression that I got. Granted, it's a year ago, and I haven't looked at the notes in a while. But that that was kind of that was kind of the direction that we were we were led in when they made the pick. Was hey. Everybody loves this guy, the traits, the athleticism, and we trust our coaches to, to coach him up. So we shall see. Uh, all right. So moving on, um, we're, we're just about done here. We've got a couple position groups left. Uh, one, there's no, no real position battle. We know who it's going to be, and that's long slap, long snapper, Josh Harris. Um, not much to say here. He's a long snapper. We don't need to spend a ton of time on it. Nah. I think the last real position battle is the kicker. Yep. Uh, Dustin Hopkins and Cameron Dicker. And who's going to wind up nabbing that spot? I think most of us really felt like Hopkins was going to get cut early in the process to give him a chance to catch on somewhere else. But it sounds like they are very committed to the idea of a kicker competition in camp, which – you know, they've been preaching 
competition um, at all positions since Staley got here. It was something that wasn't really a focal point under previous regimes, and they've really tried to harp on that. Uh, you know, some people thought it was BS last year when when Tillery made the team, but I feel like um, they have really pushed to at to bring in guys who can compete and push the starters and push the guys at the back of the roster. That's that was a thing last year, and I think looking at the the, the roster this year, it's definitely a thing this year. So, um, who do you think wins the kicker battle? My okay. The sensible thing here is Dicker because younger and cheaper. Um, I'm going to say Dicker for that reason. Um, I'm fine with them both going into camp and having a kicker competition. I mean, when you just kind of look at the numbers just from last year, um, they both did pretty well. I mean, what, Dicker missed one kick. He was 21 for 20. Yeah. 21 for 22. Um, with, a miss coming at over 50. And that's kind of the issue with both of them. Um, the longer kicks, anything 50 plus it's kind of a crap shoot. Um, they're pretty reliable under 50. Um, he even went, what? well, in the wild card game, he went three for four and he actually made a 50 plus yarder. So, uh, there's the young talent there. Um, Hopkins did fairly well. also before the injury, I mean, he went five games. Uh, he was nine for 10 in the regular season with his miss coming at just under 50. So, um, ideally, if I'm just looking at the financials of it, Dicker makes the most sense. Um, to me, it would be a little bit of a curveball if they went the Hopkins route. I feel like Dicker proved himself. So it just, to me, makes the most sense to go with that guy. But um, it's the Chargers. Never know. Yeah, I think, I think it really, I think it could be Hopkins. It probably should be Dicker just based on the fact that he's younger and cheaper and there's something there to be developed. Um, but there is that emotional side of Staley. You know, we saw it with him talking about Mike Williams after the Raider game two years ago. Um, and it was pointed out in the chat, you know, that Broncos game for, for Hopkins playing on one leg, kicking the game winning field goal. I mean, there's, you would have to think that there are a lot of veterans in that locker room who are emotionally tied to him and just just support the idea of him being on the team because of the toughness that he showed playing on one leg. And I think he was hurt going into that game. So um, it wouldn't surprise me entirely to go with the veteran uh, for a team that's, you know, expecting to make the playoffs and make a run. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me to be, you know, to, to let some of the emotions and the, you know, that, that trust and that that love of a guy who left literally left it all out on the field for the team in the re- in the regular season uh, to have him stick around. So hopefully, hopefully it's it's a very competitive uh, position battle. Hopefully both guys play well and they make it tough on them. Um, I I would I would lean towards Dicker just because of the age and because of the practicality of keeping somebody on the roster who's a little less expensive. Um, but I could see it going either way, and I I wouldn't. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't bat an eye really at either guy making it just based on what Hopkins did, how, what he did to settle down the kicking comp, the kicking position um, when he came on in 2021 and what he did last year in the Denver game on one leg. That's got to have that's got to hold a lot of credibility, a lot of uh, hold a lot of water in that locker room. 
Yeah, I know that what they are most afraid of is ending up in another Josh Lambeau, Young Way Koo situation where whoever they let go goes somewhere and suddenly becomes a great kicker out of the blue. But, I mean, you can't blame them for letting the guys go. It was uh, pretty ridiculous. And they had, you know, they, they were within their rights to let those guys go. But, um, I mean, this is a good problem to have. You have two guys that have produced and you kind of have your pick. And if the competition comes down to a, a bit of a, a draw here going out of camp, then, yeah, practically um, makes more sense to roll with Dicker. But, yeah, uh, the emotional side of things, Staley seems to be one of those guys. Uh, it matters a lot to him. You know how they feel about relationships. Guys putting it all out on the line for him. So I wouldn't be shocked either way. Um, but for sure, I'd definitely be leaning more towards Dicker. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And like I said, Really wouldn't bat an eye at either guy making the roster. So, um, and obviously the last position that we haven't talked about, actually last two positions we haven't talked about, return uh, return man, which we all know Darius Davis is going to be the, the kick and punt returner, and then J.C. Scott as the punter, who I think has that position pretty well locked down. So not a whole lot of mystery on the special team side, unlike a lot of years, a lot of recent years past where – we didn't know who the kicker was going to be. We didn't know who the punter was going to be. We didn't have a return man. Uh, it seems like a lot of that stuff is pretty settled outside of just making what's probably going to be a pretty difficult decision between Dicker and, and Hopkins. Um, so let's just wrap this up. We've gone through all the positions. We've talked about pretty much everybody on the defensive side of the roster. So uh, let's just do a quick recap of the most interesting position battles just in terms of um, – which spots we think are still open on the defensive side of the ball on the Chargers roster heading into camp next week. So we talked about interior defensive line. Most of those positions are set. I think there's for sure one position that IDL six spot um, that's still open. And then there's the uncertainty of what's happening with Austin Johnson and, um, and Tito. Tito. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any, anything else to add there? Not really. Um, Jared Clark's kind of the name to watch. Um, this could be a scenario where maybe they slow play the return of Otito in hopes that they can maybe get one of these guys on and then sneak them onto the practice squad could just be a level of strategy that they employ. But, uh, Clark's kind of the guy that, you know, is going to be on the bubble there but I think has a really good opportunity to sneak his way onto the roster somehow. Um, Clark, I think, you know, that sixth spot ultimately is going to come down to Clark and um, Hinton mm. more than likely, maybe Nick Williams. There's three guys vying for probably one spot there. So that'll be interesting. Um, we, Already know, I think, who the edges are going to be, so no real competition there outside of who's going to wind up being edge three versus edge four, which probably, in all likelihood, takes more than just camp to play out. That might yeah. not really unwind until we get a, you know halfway into the season or so. Um, we talked about linebacker. I doubt there's a linebacker spot open unless they decide to carry six, which they probably won't. So guys like Mikel Jones and Tyreek Maddox-Williams probably looking more so for or at a, a, a practice squad spot. I think the potential for a sixth defensive back is huge. Mm -hmm. um, I think we know who the top five guys are going to be. 
The question is, do they see a need for a sixth? And are we looking at Cameron Williams? Are we looking at Kimon Hall? Uh, I think those are the two primary names in that in that group towards the back of the defensive back depth chart uh, with a shot at potentially grabbing that sixth spot and or landing on the practice squad as kind of a, you know, um, like a shuttle option to go back and forth between the practice squad and, and the, and the main roster. What do you think? Yep. Right there with you. Um, I think it's definitely going to come down to between Cam Brown and Kimon Hall, just because of kind of Brown's pedigree, what he could potentially offer you as a developmental guy. Uh, we know what Kimon Hall can offer you on special teams, but um, there may be more upside to Brown than Hall. So I think those are going to be the two names that I look at. Um, they definitely need to consider going into the season with us. Uh, we're going to talk about six corners. Yeah, it's going to be one of those two guys that I would probably put my money on being the uh, the guy. Yep, I agree. And then we talked about uh, safety. I think there's kind of a lot of uncertainty at the safety position right now. Um, who's who will who will be the, the fourth safety? Will they carry five and who will that be? And I think there's really three guys there competing for one, maybe two spots on the 53. And we talked about it. That's Mark Webb, Raheem Lane, and AJ Finley. Anything to add there? Yep. Just the main guy for me is going to be Finley. And we're talking about uh, from the free safety spot. Uh, he's the person I'm probably most interested in. Of course, we want to see the JT Woods development. Uh, but between he and Mark Webb, uh, Finley and Webb are going to be the guys that I'm primarily interested in Webb to see if he can actually stay healthy and contribute and see if, uh, you know, he can make some plays and make a name for himself and actually prove to us that he is in fact a living, breathing human being. Uh, and outside of that, uh, I'd still be looking to potentially add a vet in the room, but we shall see. I agree. I think adding a vet would be fantastic, whether it's John Johnson or somebody else, um, I'm sure there's going to be some guys with some starting experience, with some um, with some tread left on the tires, uh, who get cut at some point during camp. So something I would definitely keep an eye on. That's one of those positions I think the Chargers should be following closely throughout camp in the preseason. Um, and then we talked about the kicking competition. So I think that pretty well does it. Did we miss anything? No, I think we got it all covered. I mean, we covered the returners as well. We know what that's going to look like, even though kickoffs are probably going to be a lot less exciting this year with the new rule, but whatever. I guess there's always punts. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm just really looking forward to watching Farmer, uh, Andrew Farmer, Brevin Allen, and A.J. Finley, and Cameron Brown this yeah. season. Yeah, amazing how many uh, undrafted rookie free agents uh, kind of stand out. But, I mean, you know, the Chargers, they're almost guaranteed to find at least one somewhere. So uh, just really anxious to see how these guys develop. There's going to be opportunity for someone to sneak up on everyone, and uh, camp's going to be the time to prove it. So uh, it's time to get ready to roll. All right, everybody. Well, that's going to do it. Thanks for tuning in tonight and going over the, the training camp files with us. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, I know we enjoyed talking to you. And uh, everybody have a great night. And we will see you Saturday at 12 p.m. I can't talk. 12 p.m. Pacific. There we go. Uh, with all of our 53-man roster projections. So keep an eye out for that. Absolutely. See you guys then. And uh, salute. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.